There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome along to this week's episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's our Match Day 12 recap episode here. And as always, I'm your host, Hugh McTeer. And as always, we're proud to be rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We've just had a very fun weekend of La Liga football and perhaps a very important weekend of action too. So we've got a lot coming up in this episode. Later on, we'll be discussing the blockbuster match between Sevilla and Real Madrid, which Real Madrid won because they always turn up for the big occasion, for the little occasions, maybe not so much. We'll also talk about Cadiz beating Barcelona. A few weeks ago, that might even have been our top story, but it's actually not so shocking a result by now for two reasons. Number one, Cadiz are really good and they've consistently proven it. And number two, Barcelona are having a poor domestic season and they've consistently proven that. So all that and more is coming up. But first, we're going to start with the very first fixture of this match day 12 because... The very beginning is a very good place to start. On Friday night, Celta Vigo went away to Athletic Club and won in Bilbao for the first time since 2006. They did so 2-0 with goals from the team's captains Hugo Mayo and Diago Aspas and they did so with their new coach Eduardo Chacho Cude in the dugout. Let's break down his start to life at Celta Vigo with our good friend Ian Morris aka Celta USA on Twitter. So Ian is two wins and a very narrow defeat away at Sevilla for coup day so far, has his star exceeded expectations? It goes without saying that um, Chacho Codet has completely changed uh, the image that we're seeing over this Celta team. I think that if anyone would have told me that Celta would play well but lose at Sevilla and then go on to beat uh, Granada at home and then Athletic Club on the road uh, during during his first three games, I wouldn't have believed it. Uh, it's... A very, very strong start for Codet, and something that I don't think many of us imagined, uh, seeing the kind of performances that, that we had seen from the team under Oscar Garcia. So what then is it that he's changed compared to what Oscar Garcia was doing? The long and short of it is that everything has changed for Celta under Chacho Codet. Um, after being a very bland, static, uninspired team under Oscar Garcia that really just looked to sit back defend and try to surprise with a Iago Aspas goal uh, in order to pick up a point or a win. Uh, Chacho Codet's team plays with an intensity and fluidity that we hadn't seen uh, in a really long time for Celta. Um, we see a different formation as well, which is obviously a huge part of the, 
the changes that we've seen in the team. So what is the new system then? Oscar Garcia, who always opted for a 4-3-3 or a 5-3-2, um, that system has been replaced with a 4-3-1-2 formation that is ultra-offensive. Uh, that's always been Chacho Kovadet's calling card during his coaching spells in South America, and he's brought it with him to Europe. And it's, it's a system that in La Liga you rarely, if almost never, see. And, um, you know, it's going to leave Celta with some weaknesses defensively, uh, there will be more vulnerability in the back. But, um, you know, the hallmark of Kodet's Celta from what we've seen during his first three games in action are intensity and pressure on defense to lead to transitions that end with quick attacks, with fluid, short passes, ending in goals. Um, that seems to be the hallmark of Kodet's Celta and something that we rarely, if almost never saw during Oscar Garcia's managerial career with Celta, when Celta was very bland, static, and had build-up play that lasted ages, allowing defenses to get set and to get comfortable. That seems to have gone away with Codet in charge. You mentioned how Oscar Garcia used to rely on Aspas Day as benefiting from good Aspas play too, that's logical. He really seems to be getting the best out of him though, right? Kodet does seem to be able to get the best out of Aspas based on what we've seen in these first three games. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with more men being up front, which allows Aspas to, to have more opportunities to find teammates. Uh, we saw him make some phenomenal passes, especially last weekend against Granada. And then it also just allows him to have, to have more options when attacking, right? Because so many times during Oscar Garcia's tendency with Celta, we saw Iago Aspas basically all alone up front. And a player like Aspas's quality is going to be swarmed by defenses in, 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 in that sort of situation. And now that he has players like Nolito, like Bryce Mendes, like Denis Suarez associating an attack and moving up closer with him allows him to find more open space. It allows him to find open spaces in front of the goal where teammates are able to deliver passes to him to put him in goal-scoring situations. And it also lets him shine as a passer, which Iago Aspas is a brilliant passer as well as a goal scorer. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize about him. And the clinic he put on against Granada last weekend showed that off to perfection where um, he just had a majestic night uh, setting up teammates and, and creating offense for Celta in that way. Defensively, you did say you were a little worried that this new system exposes the defence, but weirdly, one of the things I was most impressed with on Friday was the defending. Athletic didn't have a single shot on target. How do you explain that? Celta defended quite well on Friday night against Athletic. Obviously, they didn't allow a goal uh, for the first time since week one against Eibar. And I think a lot of that had to do with Renato Tapia's standout performance. Um, the defensive midfielder uh, from Peru, Peruvian international, seems to have fit in like a glove to Chacho Codet's system as the deep-lying midfielder who's tasked with transitions and helping out on defense. And, um, you know, I also think we saw good performances from Nestor Araujo and Jason Murillo in the back. And um, it, it seemed like they were really able to... to to overwhelm Asier Villalibre, a player who has impressed a lot this season. And um, I, I think we can't not mention also the work that Lucas Olaza did in 
in covering in Yaki Williams, who seemed to not get a lot of empty space. So yeah, it was a good defensive performance, but I wouldn't count on Chacho Codet's team always being this strong defensively simply because there isn't just as much personnel uh, back there as there was during Oscar Car- Garcia's tenure with Celta. But all in all, it was a good defensive performance and something to build on after Celta struggled a little bit, um, especially against Sevilla during Chacho Codet's first two games. Interesting. And just to take a more macro view of Celta Vigo, they seem to do this every year, right? They start poorly. They're one of the first teams to sack their coach. Then they get a bit of a new manager bounce under the new coach. What has to happen for this improvement to stick this time? Well, yes and no. You're certainly right about Celta starting off poorly the past three seasons and sacking their coach. Uh, But this year feels different. Um... When Miguel Cardoso took over for Antonio Mohamed in the 2018-2019 season, uh, there was no improvement. And then Franes Cribal came on later on. Um, we had Anosa Reconquista, the famous Yago Aspas magical stretch that led Celta to safety. And last season when Oscar Garcia took over, the team did improve a bit. Um, but the reality is that they won in Oscar Garcia's second game as manager. And then they didn't win again until his 10th game as manager. So, you know, it took him 10 weeks to find two victories, whereas Chacho Codet is able to do it twice within uh, three games. And really, I, I think the difference is that we just see such a clear difference in Celta's attitude, in Celta's structure, and, and, and in the sort of intensity that the team is bring, bringing under Chacho Codet, which feels different to me. Uh, than what we've seen in any other managerial change over the past three years for Celta. Well, thanks, Ian. Let's hope then that this year's new manager bounce can defy the sort of what-goes-up-must-come-down logic. Let's see if good day Celta can really kick on and fight at the right end of the table this season. It's certainly been encouraging so far. We're going to move on now and finish up part one of this week's episode with our sore throat game of the week. Now, this is the weekly segment where one member of the La Liga Lowdown squad brings us the best commentary clips from one of the weekend's matches. This week, we've got Ruri Barlow to look at Levante's 3-0 win over Hatafi, which had a lot of early drama. Here's Ruri to take it away. The pressure was on Zidane this weekend, but perhaps the manager most likely to be sacked with a loss was Paco Lopez. Second bottom with just one win so far, Levante welcomed a struggling Hatafi to Orioles in a massive game. They needed a win with Real Sociedad and Barcelona on the horizon, but it would take just five minutes for the decisive moment to arrive. Goal for Levante, goal for the gunman, Roger. De Frutos released Roger in behind the Hitafe defence, who fired across David Soria into the corner. A dream start for Paco Lopez, but there's some confusion over VAR. ¿Qué pueden estar mirando? A ver, eh, fuera de juego no hay Paco porque la tele lo deja clarísimo. Hay una entrada brutal de Chema a De Frutos que ha resuelto el árbitro con amarilla y no veo nada más punible. As José Manuel Segarra of Cadena Copy put it, no veo nada más punible. There's nothing else I can see which should be punished except for that brutal Chema Rodriguez challenge, which he eventually saw red for. Just 10 minutes later, Danny Gomez would get him behind again. A glorious through ball from Carlos Clerk curved into his path and he slotted home against David Soria. Even with 10 men though, Jose Bordalas refused to give up the high line which he had implemented 
meaning easy pickings for Levante. Eventually, Jorge de Frutos punished them. Luis Cortez of Radio Marca with the call there. The ball was laid right by Roger for Jorge de Frutos to finish emphatically. As Cortez put it, que golazo. Levante had further opportunities to score, while Genet, who started in midfield for Hatafe, saw a second yellow, leaving Hatafe frustrated with nine men to finish the match. It's a crucial win for Paco Lopez and a much needed confidence boost for a team that had drawn their last five matches in a row, all 1-1. They finally put together a complete performance, effective at both ends of the pitch. There's plenty of work ahead though, and there's no doubt they were aided by a suicidal Hatafe. Without a win in six themselves, but perhaps most worryingly, is that they look nothing like the borderlands teams we've become so accustomed to. Thank you, Ruri, for bringing us the load down there from that very important Levante win. Lots of great commentary clips there, and just behind those crazy commentators, you may have made out Zombie Nation's Cairncraft 400. Of course, that's an absolute tune, and they play it after every Levante goal. And it had been a while since we'd heard it so often in one match. Well, there's plenty more still to come in today's episode. We're going to take a quick break right now, but on the other side, it's time to talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid's very different trips to Andalusia. That's coming up in just a few ticks. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We're going to talk now about two very differing trips to Andalusia for Barcelona and Real Madrid. Whereas Real Madrid won away at Sevilla, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, Barcelona lost 2-1 at Cadiz. Or better put, Cadiz won 2-1 against Barcelona. All three goals in this game were quite weird and had some element of luck to them, but Cadiz deserved this first, and Oscar Mingueza almost own goal was finished off by Alvaro Jimenez. Then after Jordi Alba provoked a Pedro Alcala own goal, a terrible throw-in routine put Ter Stegen under so much pressure and Alvaro Negredo capitalised. We're going to discuss this game now with our Barcelona correspondent Roman Darker. First off, Roman, just how impressive is what Cadiz had done as a newly promoted side, beating Barcelona and Real Madrid already in the same first half of the season? It's an outstanding achievement, it has to be said. I mean, it's never easy uh, beating one of these teams. Just imagine twice uh, doing it against Barca and Real Madrid, the two biggest clubs uh, in the competition. So a lot of credit to Cadiz. They've really uh, worked these games tactically. Uh, they gave their 100%. You could t- tell the players were you know, uh, doing whatever they could or, or they had to do to make sure they got uh, something out of this game. And in the end, uh, it's a deserved uh, result for them because they played a really good game. They were very solid at the back. Uh, very few mistakes were made and, and credit to Cadiz. This was the first Cadiz versus Barcelona match since 2006. Messi was only 18 then. Do you, do you remember that one, Roman, that previous meeting? It was definitely a very long time ago. I was just 15 years old, I'd say, so pretty young. I don't really remember the game too well, but uh, it was an important one for Barcelona because they were fighting for La Liga title. And after that victory on that same match day, which was a 35, they needed Valencia to lose to win it. But Valencia beat Alavés 3 but the next match day, uh, Valencia would lose and Barca would lift the title. But in that game against Cadiz, it wasn't an easy one. Just a 1-0 result with a Ronaldinho goal uh, early on in the game. And Cadiz had some really good chances. They were a tough team. But in the end, Barca uh, won it. Uh, not like in this case, of course. Yeah, not like in this case. Because as much as this was a big and impressive win for Cadiz, this was bad for Barcelona. Of all the Barcelona defeats this season, is this worst? I wouldn't say it was Barca's worst uh, game in terms of uh, football they played. Um, it's definitely bad to lose against a team that has just come up from Segunda División, especially if you're a club such as Barcelona. And it was probably their worst game in terms of, of, of defensive errors they made because those two mistakes cost us uh, the three points. But in terms of how they played, I think the first half was poor. But in the second half, you know, they tried to react. They had... Uh, some good moments, they played some good football, they got the equaliser, but then of course that second uh, quick response from uh, Cadiz just crushed their hopes and it left them with uh, no reaction. I mean, they tried, they played and they had opportunities, but you could just see that Barcelona uh, weren't going to get nothing out of this game because uh, they were just devastated by that second goal. They had possession too, 83% possession for Barca, but they couldn't do much with it. How concerning is that? That's just a symptom from last season. It's something that Kuman has to work on. Uh, with Setien, this happened very often where Barca had a lot of possession. The football looked all right, but then uh, when they got towards the opponent's box, they were just incapable of, of generating any any good opportunity. And this especially happens to Barcelona when uh, a rival team scores early on. Like Cadiz is the clear example. Uh, we saw this a lot last season and we see it in, in many games where the other team scores early, they close themselves down and then just 
Barcelona struggle so much to find the spaces. They're, they're not capable of unlocking down these defenses, which, of course, are tactically very well worked. And, and there's a lot of effort put into that from the opposition manager. But Barca just, just don't have a response. And when that takes place, it's really complicated. And it's something that they need to work on if they want, uh, I wouldn't say win the title, but if they want to at least make it to the Champions League positions, they've got to find a way of defeating teams that defend uh, so strong at the back. And once again, there was a goalkeeping mistake for the decisive goal, just like against Alaves, just like against Atletico Madrid. Is this just a coincidence or are Barcelona struggling to play out from the back like they used to do. It's definitely not a coincidence. Barca has a serious problem in defense, but I wouldn't point out a specific case scenario or situation. I think it's an overall collective problem that Barca has. And Kuman somehow has to find a way of recovering the defender's confidence, or maybe he has to adapt his system to make them feel more secure at the back, because this has been dragging on from previous seasons, and Barca every year seems to be looking worse in defense. And it's a simple pass which ends up being a bad one or a bad clearance or even a bad tackle ends up often in, in the rival's uh, possession and they get good opportunities and, and they make the most of it as we saw against Cadiz and that's something that needs to be uh, solved. I don't know if, if maybe Barca needs extra reinforcements or what it is uh, or if it's the injuries that are causing this also but there has to be a solution sooner than later. Last one for you Roman, is Komen's job at risk yet? I don't think Kuman's position is on the line uh, for quite a few reasons. First of all, let's not forget that Barca came from playing three really good games before that defeat against Cadiz. So, I mean, uh, you could tell or perceive that fans were quite excited what was going on. Of course, uh, the defeat against Cadiz is a massive blow for his credibility and confidence, but still, there's a long way to go. Also, another reason is that Barca has no president at the moment, let's not forget that. And Tusquets, despite all the protagonism he may want, I doubt is brave enough to fire a Barca legend. So that will probably be uh, postponed until a new president comes in. And even if a new one uh, isn't very happy, let's not forget what happened last season when they fired Balberde halfway through. The, the solution wasn't better than what we already had, so uh, it's something to keep in mind. And finally, I think Barca fans expected a poor season this year because despite having good players and despite the fact that they should be fighting for the title in terms of the squad's quality, uh, all that's been going on around the club, all the troubles they've been having, you could just kind of sense or perceive that this season was going to be very difficult. And I really believe that Champions League positions would be a great success uh, this season. Thanks for that, Roman. Before we move on from this one, let's hear from Coleman himself as he spoke about one of the points that Roman brought up about how Barcelona struggle so much when they go behind. No, first of all, we, we need to to have the positions better. We make we need to make the pitch a little bit more wider. We know that everybody is concentrated in the middle of the pitch, and then we need people more outside and 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 with a high rhythm of our 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 ball position. But uh, once again, the opponent is scoring first, and and that's always really difficult in this kind of games. We'll move on to Real Madrid's game now and it was a happy outing for them. They went away to Sevilla and won 1-0 with a Bono on goal. We're going to speak to La Liga Lowdown's biggest Real Madrid fan now, Hassan Karim. When Real Madrid are expected to win Hass, they don't win, right? Then when they're expected to not win, they win, like this Saturday. How do you explain that? 
it's it's hard to say it really is hard to say i don't know whether it's a motivation thing or is it just you know fixture congestion sometimes gets to them and they struggle to pick themselves up again in these games against lesser opponents well you know as you say lesser opponents i don't mean that in a disrespectful sense but games they expect to, they're expected to win that just comes with the territory of being real madrid you're expected to beat those of those you know supposedly smaller than you and you know they, they tend not to do that because they tend to not like to roll their seats up and get you know their hands dirty and roll the punches but when their backs are against the wall they seem to always pull it through it's a, it's a really strange one I, I do think it is largely a mentality thing that they just they do struggle to dig deep and you know pull it together it's something we saw a lot you know post lockdown last season um, and is what propelled them to the title was the fact they were able to dig deep and just get on with it but it's, it's something they struggle to sustain and it's something that I'm not sure they ever will be able to sustain I think it just comes to the territory of where they stand as a club it's, a, it's an arrogance almost in a sense There was a lot of luck to the one goal of the game but was this a deserved win on Saturday? In a lot of these games you need that kind of luck in those, in those moments you need that luck and you know, in the first half, Madrid definitely were the better side. There's no two ways about it. They had Sevilla pretty much penned back. They weren't able to play in their typical style. I think you know the first half was a very good performance, but it's been the current theme throughout the season. Real Madrid start well and absolutely fall apart in the second half of, of games. And it's always been a, a trend through early parts of the season for them for a long for the longest time, if I'm honest. Um, but in this one, you know, they, they really were very good in the first half. You know, how many chances were there that you really thought should have been put away? There was the early one from Vinicius within the opening minutes and there was the the scramble on the goal line with Benzema and Vinicius also failing to be able to put it away. It was just time after time after time of coming close, coming close, coming close and just not getting that little bit of luck that was needed. When they finally got it, fantastic. But that second half was unacceptably bad. It was just... They, were, they looked every bit as knackered as they were expected to look. Vinicius doesn't get the goal, it goes down as an own goal, but he just always creates danger, even if he's not the best finisher. Does he have to start every game while Eden Hazard is out injured? I've always said this about Vinicius. Yes, his la- end product lacks, it really does, but what that guy can produce is near enough not replaceable it pretty much is not replaceable in that squad. No, Nobody brings that at all. No one brings that fearlessness. No one brings that determination, that really sort of, I'm going to get you no matter how many times it takes me. He's going to get past the fullback. He's going to get past that midfielder. He's going to get past that centre-back. He's going to embarrass you. If it takes him two times, three times, seven, eight times, it doesn't matter. He's going to do it. And when he does it, it's usually spectacular. I believe I said it in uh, Sam Leverage's piece when he wrote about Vinicius on the website. He just has a flair about him that you just don't find in a lot of talents. I'm not talking just young talents, in talents in general. There's not many players out there who can just do that and succeed so regularly. You know, names like Neymar come to mind. Just that pure, unadulterated flair. You just don't find it anywhere else. And it's massive for Real Madrid that you have that X factor there because it's not easy to find and it's definitely not easy for someone to come in and do that, especially someone that's such tender age. I think people forget, even when Vinicius came to the team, as an 18-year-old, for him to do what he did in that first season in in Ronaldo-less Madrid was massive. So yes, while Hazard is away and injured, and even when Hazard is just resting or whatever, 
He absolutely has to start because no one comes close to the influence that he can bring on that left flank. Nobody. It's not even close. Yeah, and definitely go and check out that Vinicius piece on the website if you haven't already. Vinicius Jr., Real Madrid's diamond in the rough is the full title. Finally, has just what are your thoughts ahead of this big week for Real Madrid? Yeah, it's 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 literally make or break time for the season, really. Uh, you know, up first is munching glad back and discuss that game in a, a sort of compact sense. It's do or die essentially for Real to really, you know, assert themselves within the group and, and ensure that they get through and aren't playing, you know, Europa League football, which I would imagine would be pretty much unforgivable for the vast majority of Real fans and could possibly be the death knell in Zidane's coffin, you know, for this tenure, um, which I think would be unfortunate, somewhat unfair possibly. I mean, I probably think a lot of people disagree with me on that, fair enough. Um, but you know, Munchen Gladbach are there to be got at. You know, it's not like the this you know unbeatable beast of a side. You know, if you look at their form, you know they they are scored against. You know, and it's not an unwinnable game for Real if they stick to it and stop having these random drop-offs in the second half. However, you know the the other beast in the equation is Atletico Madrid, and that is a game that really does frighten me to death. You know, Atleti look absolutely fantastic this season. There's no two ways about it. You know, they are the team to beat in Spain. So if Real, you know, are without like Danny Carl and Sergio Ramos in either of those games, it's going to be massively scary. Um, but if they're able to, you know, uh, recover both those two, I don't see why Real can't go and get two wins out of two. I really don't. Thanks, Haas. A potentially scary week ahead for Real Madrid. We'll see how they get on and, of course, we'll be covering it all on our Twitter account at La Liga Lowdown. And Haas is right, when Real Madrid face Atletico Madrid next weekend, they'll be going up against the team to beat in Spain. Atleti are now officially top of the table, even with two games in hand still over most teams. This weekend, they had Real Vide lead at home and that may sound simple on paper, but Real Vide lead were in good form and Atleti rested some players ahead of their own crucial midweek Champions League game against RB Salzburg. Like title contenders should do, Atletico went out and won anyway. 2-0 and they're now top. The reason they're sitting outright in first place is that Real Sociedad failed to win this weekend. They were away at Alaves in a regional derby and it was a goalless draw. Even though they dominated in terms of chances created, they came up against an excellent Fernando Pacheco. 11 shots for Real Sociedad compared to 4 for Alaves, but it finished 0-0 and that's maybe Real Sofidad's main weakness so far through the first quarter, the first third of the season. They don't always put their chances away and that was maybe more of an issue in this game with an injured David Silva and Mikel Oyarzabal. In terms of Real Sofidad's tussle with Villarreal to remain the leading challenger to Atletico Madrid right now, they didn't lose any ground because Villarreal drew 0-0 as well, also in a regional derby. They hosted Elche but Unai Emery's side were held to a point and they remain third for now in the standings. Real Madrid rounding out the top four and Cadiz in fifth. There's two more games to tell you about before we go on. One of them was a heartbreaking one for Huesca. They remain the only team in La Liga without a win so far this season, even if they have eight points from their eight draws. The latest draw was away at Granada and it so looked like they were finally going to get that win that they've been seeking so much. With eight minutes to go, they were 3-1 up thanks to a lovely curled effort into an empty net 
from Shinji Okazaki away at a fatigued Granada side that had a lot of Europa League football in their legs. But Huesca basically blew it. 88th minute, Jorge Molina pulls one back. 90th minute, Herman Sanchez makes it 3-3. 94th minute, Molina hits the post and could have won it. That would have been harsh on Huesca, but they do need to get that first win soon. Eight draws is fine for now, but you can't draw your way to survival. Real Betis certainly seem to understand that, as they're the only team in La Liga without a draw so far. It's seven losses and five wins for them, and they got that fifth victory of the season away at Osasuna on Sunday. It looked like this might be a goalless draw too, but late goals from Borja Iglesias and Juan Miranda earned them the 2-0 win. Miranda's goal was assisted by Joaquin, so it was a 39-year-old assisting a 20-year-old. Amazing stuff. Now, that's all we have time for in today's episode. Remember, there's some Monday night football to come up to as Ibar host Valencia. If there's any Paco Pola angst around that game, then you know it will all be up on our Twitter feed. For now, I want to thank the contributors to this episode. That's Ian Morris, aka Celta USA. Also, Ruri Barlow, Roman de Arker, and Hassan Karim. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and thanks a lot for listening. We'll speak to you next time, after Match Day 13. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.